Hi, this is David Sachs, and welcome to Spiritual Tools for an Outrageous World. Every week we do a little couples therapy between us and God. It's a chance to deepen and explore our most important relationship. All right, I'm glad you're here. Um, We've got a lot to discuss today, and I want to um, explore this question, which is kind of like a continuation of what we were talking about last week. By the way, if you didn't get a chance to hear last week's talk, um, I called it uh, the the fine line between um, imagination and delusion. And I want to sort of continue with some of the themes that we developed then um, regarding just notions of self, meaning to say, who are we? What are we? Um, We have a body. We have a soul. And um, what is our essential identity in this world? I I think it's really important because um, in order to sort of function as a coherent um, personality, you sort of have to know who you are. And if you if you imagine a, a rider uh, on a horse, um, who is steering the horse, or a person behind the the steering wheel? Is it, is it your body that's 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 operating the steering wheel, or or is it is it the soul? So who is the essential you? When when you think to yourself, I, what do you think? So these are all um, very important questions because. Each person has to be very much grounded in a sense of identity because um, who's calling the shots? Who's making the essential decisions in your life? You or your body? Which which aspect? And and when we use the word body, um, let's maybe uh, zero in on a a maybe more compelling, um, relevant definition of that. Um, Your urgent needs, right? So so that's, that's now maybe a little bit more profound. Am I my um, idealistic goals or am I my urgent needs? That That's a more balanced fight and, and maybe, maybe uh, is a little bit more resonant than just saying body and soul, which is a little bit too abstract, I think. Am I the things I want most in life on the most idealistic level, a better world, a fulfilled sort of sense of mission, like that I really accomplished what I was supposed to do with my lifetime in this world? Or am I this, essentially this creature bent on survival? Or is it both? Or is it neither? So we're going to really discuss like all the different possibilities, um, God willing, today. Um, I'll start with uh, one one version of this, and then we're going to kind of dig down deeper. But this is something that I heard from Rabbi Shimon Green, who is the uh, Rosh Hashiv of Birkas HaTorah in Yerushalayim. And this made such an impression on me when he said it, that that when my father, Olav Shalom, was left this world, I, I this was part of the eulogy that I said on behalf of my father. So I just tell you that because... It, it, it gives you an example of how, how meaningful this, this thought that I'm about to tell you is. So again, Rabbi Green said the following. He asked the question, are you your body or are you your soul? And he said, you're not your body because at the end of 120, 
your body gets left behind, right? Gets buried, and so you're not your body. But then he says something really surprising. He says, you're also not your soul. Why? Because your soul is a piece of God. So your soul belongs to God. Okay, so now it's getting interesting, right? So this, so now you're not your body, because that gets left behind, and you're not your soul, because your soul is a piece of God. That belongs to God. So then who are you if you're not your body and you're not your soul? So he says something very amazing, something very, very beautiful that can really change a person's life if you think about it. He says, each of us is the sum total of the decisions that we make in life. In other words, if you want a visual, when, when, when we stand, when each of us stands before the heavenly throne, the heavenly court at the end of our life, right? And the heavenly court is kind of like looking at us and trying to figure out what to do with us. What stands before the heavenly court? And the answer is, it's the decisions that we made in life. That is the essential us which is very, very compelling. You know, you see a lot of times, um, like they put this phrase, I'm going to paraphrase it, but you see it on like t-shirts and bumper stickers and, and things like that, where they talk about um, how, how, how each of us creates ourself. And if you think about that, that's a, that's a profoundly Jewish idea. I mean, there's, there is one version of it, but, but we're talking about something slightly different, or, or perhaps perhaps not. Maybe this is just a great scriptural source for this, which is that in the beginning of, of Genesis in Breshis, Hashem says, let us create man. And Rabbi Tversky sort of famously commented on that, um, that, you know, actually, it's a very old question. Who was God talking to since there were no people? When God said, uh, let us create man, who is us? So you see different commentaries. Rashi brings that God was talking to the angels, and there, there, there are all sorts of different answers to this. But, but perhaps the most compelling one, in my opinion, is that God was talking to man himself. Let us create man, meaning to say that it's the creation of self is a partnership between us and God. But, but what this first part that I shared with you from Rabbi Green gives us fills out the details, fills out the rest of the story. Okay, it's very nice to say, let us create man. It's a, it's a partnership between man and God, the creation of self. But how do we do it? That's the question. How is it done? And the answer is, it's done through the decisions that we make. That's the creation of self. That's what remains after the body returns back to the earth and the soul returns back to God, that's what remains. Okay, so I want to go, I want to go deeper and really, really kind of explore this whole body-soul uh, conundrum, you know, because, because it is a conundrum. Because the body itself is actually very holy. And um, it's too easy an answer to just run to say, I'm a soul, I'm a soul. Because God also gave us this. So, so what are we doing with this? Or as Rabbi Tzvi Friedman likes to say, this meat suit, right? This, 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 
amalgam of hamburger meat that that we've been sort of like stuffed into. Like, what's going on with that? That, in other words, there seems to be a very clear purpose for the body because God made it, and God made an entire world to to place the body in. So, so what is? We can't just dismiss the body and say, well, we're just souls. See, if we're just souls, then, then how are we different from angels? And then what does God need this entire physical world for and, and these bodies that he makes if we're just souls? So clearly we're souls and bodies. And we have to appreciate both of those sides. So, so what kind of sense do we make out of it? So... There is something very interesting. It's a minig. It's a, it's a custom. And you see it really by Hasidic men. And it's called a gartel. So what's, what's going on with a gartel? What is that? A gartel is, a, is like a long silk belt. And it's bigger than a belt. It goes for many, many feet. And you wrap it around your waist. And men put it on during uh, davening, during, during prayer. And, and what is the idea? The idea is that when you wrap it around your waist, you are sort of like making this distinction between your higher self and your lower self. Meaning to say, you know, sort of like the, the exalted realm where your, where your mind is, where your imagination is, where your creativity is, where your lungs are, where you can breathe in the stuff of life, right? That's your higher element, right? But then you have your lower element as well, which is, you know, you could be sort of perhaps uh, unkind and, and, and call it our more animalistic side. Um, or perhaps you could be a little bit more um, appreciative and, and compassionate and, and call it our, our, our human side, our, our, more of our humanity. That would be perhaps below the belt. So, so this distinction is made at this time of davening. Now, the reason why I tell you that um, is because I ran across a teaching. Uh, Reb Sada Kakon quoted a Zohar that I thought was really, really fascinating. So with the gartel, this, this belt that we put on, separating our higher self and lower self, listen to this. And we're... This is especially relevant right now because we just started this new book, or I guess, I guess we're in the middle of it now, Sefer Vayikra, also known as uh, Leviticus, which talks about in, in, in great detail um, the, the korbonos, the, the, the offerings that we would bring to the Beis Amigdash. And it wasn't so simple that you just sort of like sacrifice an animal. If you, if you look at the verses in the Torah, they're, they're hyper-specific as to exactly which organs from the animal were placed on the Mizbeach, the holy altar. And two of the parts of the um, animal that were placed there are the diaphragm, and we're going to talk about the diaphragm in a moment, and the liver. Okay, very interesting. The diaphragm and the liver. And not, not the whole liver, by the way, a piece of the liver, which is also interesting. Um, so what's the diaphragm? In, in, case, uh, in case your anatomy, your human anatomy is as bad as, as, as mine is. Uh, 
Well, believe it or not, the diaphragm is a gartel. That's why we were talking about gartels. The diaphragm sits below the lungs and it makes a line and it sits on top of the lower part of the body. In other words, every single person, male and female, Hasidic and non-Hasidic, <laughs> everyone comes with a built-in gartel. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? And that's the diaphragm. And then you also have the liver, right? The liver is a very interesting organ. I, I really didn't really know any of these things, but I'm just telling you that, you know, if you think about computers, basically what the liver is, is the motherboard for the human body. Okay. It's basically kind of operating the body and taking care of all of the toxins in the body and creating a balance within the body. So you really need to have the, the liver working well. The, the liver is kind of like the, the engine. The heart is very exalted and amazing. And of course, the brain is amazing too. But the liver is kind of like the, the heavy duty industrial kind of like machinery that's like really keeping the body going. Very interesting. Very interesting. So that's, that's the liver. Okay. And if you take those three things, the, the mind, the heart, and the liver, which are really like the three major organs of the body in terms of like our, our life force and our functioning. Interestingly, if you take the first three letters of those, it spells out the word melech, which means king. And a king is, is sort of like a very idealized person who has self-mastery. So, so the very word king is talking about the mind, the heart, and the liver. In other words, that that there's this sense of rulership and control and also this order, right? The mind, the heart, and then the liver. Okay, so so that's that, that's interesting. But I want to tell you what the Zohar that um, Reb Tzadik brings. So remember, each person comes equipped with his diaphragm, which divides the higher self and the lower self, and of course, a liver. Now, the Zohar says the following. That the and remember we we take those two organs, a piece of the liver and the diaphragm, and we put it on the mizbeach. All right. Interestingly, this is just an aside, but it's a it's a giant aside. You don't put the heart of the animal on the altar. Isn't that interesting? Like if you were to ask me if I were making up the the laws of offerings, I would have told you, okay, let's start with the heart because that's where all the action is. That's where that's the seat of the emotions. That's where everything is going on. If you get the heart right, you're going to get everything right, which is true, by the way. So so let's take the heart of the animal and put that on the mizbeach. No, that, that's not the way it goes. And do you know why? Because you're the heart. In other words, that much agency you don't give over to the offering that you give. You never stop being the heart. So, so that in itself, I think, is very compelling. Um, because after you atone for something, you bring an offering. Well, what's the next chapter of that story? You turn the page. What's the next page? Well, it's you again out in the world, which means we've got to get our heart right. Okay. So, so, so here's the fascinating thing. The Zohar says the diaphragm, remember that gartel, that, that dividing organ 
separating the higher and the lower in the, bar, in the body. Do you know what that correlates with? You ready for this? The Nachash, the snake in the Garden of Eden. Isn't that fascinating? And the liver? The Samech Mem. The Samech Mem, of course, we, we don't pronounce its name. That's the, that's the custom in learning. But, but that's the angel of evil. So, wow, okay. Maybe, maybe that's not what you were expecting. So this dividing line between the upper self and the lower self correlates with the Nachash, the snake in the Garden of Eden. That's what the Zohar says. And that organ beneath it, the liver, right? By the way, the liver contains bile. And bile is that super strong, bitter fluid that breaks down food, okay? And and in, in a... In a healthy person, the liver is working just right, that, that just the right amount of bitterness, just the right amount of, of, of bile is being secreted into the body. But if it's out of whack, then it's just, it's just too much bitterness, right? So, so let me tell you what this says to me. You see... A person has to strive to be a unified personality. Meaning to say, the idealized Torah version of a person is that the body and the soul are working together like best friends. But to get to that place, we have to overcome this inherent division that's built into us from the outset. In other words, we come into the world really as these divided individuals. See, the Gartel is a, is a very interesting thing. It's a very beautiful thing. The higher and the lower self. But, but what we really want to strive for, and I think the Gartel, by the way, is an expression of this, is a harmonious prioritizing of all of our different parts so that they're working together in a beautiful way. If they're not, then that division, that diaphragm within us that, that, that divides the upper and the lower, then, then that becomes an agency through which we become at war with ourselves. And if we're divided individuals at war with ourselves, that is the nachash. That is the snake. So seen in that way, the idea that the diaphragm, this division between upper self and lower self being the snake, actually makes a lot of sense and is probably true for most of us. That we're at war with each other in terms of what our needs are, who's steering the car, who's riding the horse, which direction to go. But that's not the ideal. That's not what we're striving for. We're, we're striving to be coherent individuals where the body and soul works together. So now, let me give you an example of that. One of the most beautiful examples that I know, and I heard this teaching in the name of the, the Baal Shem Tov. 
So it goes like this. You see, let's say you were just a soul and you didn't have a body. And let's say that you wanted to give tzedakah. You, you saw a, a poor person and you wanted to give them money. Do you realize that you wouldn't be able to do it? Because you don't have a hand and you're just a soul. You can't move a coin or a bill or a check into the hand of someone else, right? You need a body for that. So now listen to this. Let's say you have a coin. This is the way the, the, the teaching is given over. A coin is like a little entity. It's like the letter Yud, okay? So, so you hold the coin in your hand. Now your hand has five fingers, right? The fifth letter of the Aleph base of the Hebrew alphabet is the letter He. So you have the coin, which is the letter Yud. You hold it in your hand, which is the letter He. So that's Yud and He. And then you put out your arm. And when you stretch out your arm, it makes a straight line, which is the letter Vav. So now you have Yud and He and Vav. And then you put it into the hand of the other person, which is also the letter He. So now you have the coin, which is Yud, your hand, which is He, your arm, which is Vav, and the poor person's hand, which is the other letter, hey, and what have you done as you've given out Sadaka? You've spelled out the name of God. That's awesome, right? But you need a body in order to do that. But that's a great example of the soul and the body working in conjunction together in a coherent way in order to do mitzvot, in order to unify the name of God. So we said that the liver, that the liver is sort of like, is kind of like the, the heavy industrial machinery of the body, keeping, keeping the life force going. The liver correlates, you know, there are five levels to the soul. The bottom level of the soul is called the nephesh. That's kind of like the, the, the brute life force that's just got keeping the blood pumping, keeping, keeping the lungs going, okay? That's, that's the nephesh. So the liver and the nephesh, says Reb Kakon, correlate with each other, which makes sense. They're both sort of like the heavy industrial machinery, if you will, okay? But interestingly, you know, we have what's called, uh, Kabbalistically speaking, we talk about the four worlds, Okay? And the word worlds there is a, is a little bit, um, can be misleading. Um, it, it's not talking about like, wow, Saturn is a world and Mars is a world and Mercury is a world. It, it's not like that. It's, it's much more beautiful and, and, and deep than that. It's talking about stratifications of divine light. Okay. So the highest world, which is called Atsilus, it's the highest, highest, highest light. And then it gets compressed, compacted down to the next world, and then down to the next world. So they're not separate worlds. It's all one continuum leading down to this world, which is called Olamasiya, the world of action, which is a materialistic realm. It's a physical realm. Now, interestingly, this world, this realm that we live in, correlates with the liver, isn't that, isn't that interesting? We all live in a big liver, 
If you want to know where do we live, you live in a liver. <laughs> and what did we say? We said that the liver excretes bile. And that bile can be like extremely healing and extremely healthy. It can break things down. But, but sometimes if there's too much bile, it's just bitterness, right? So, so this world is a very physical world. It correlates with the liver. But Sadakakun says something really amazing about, about disappointment in life. He says that disappointment in life actually can sweeten life. It, it sounds a little counterintuitive. What, do, what does he mean by that? Or I can just tell you the, 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 the extent to which I understand what he was saying from it. And it's a very, very deep lesson. He says that to the extent that a person experiences some disappointment, what it does is it tempers the physical needs of a person in a really positive way to keep them focused on the grander things in life and on the ultimate purpose of life. In other words, if everything were easy and we were able to run after our physical needs and our, all of our ambitions and everything like that, and we were able to get every single thing that we wanted, we'd never stop running and never stop pursuing it. But when we confront limitation, that, that liver, that bile, that disappointment, that bitterness in life, sometimes it makes us sort of rethink the larger picture. And so it redirects us in a positive way and keeps us on track for the whole reason why we exist to begin with. Very interesting. Very interesting. Okay. So we said about the liver that it correlates with the Samach Mem, which is um, this angel of evil. And by the way, it says in the Garden of Eden, you ready for this visual? In the Garden of Eden, when the snake entered the picture, it was being ridden by the Samach Mem, this angel, right? How's that for a for an alarming, for an alarming picture, right? Here comes the snake being ridden by the angel of evil, the Samach Mem. Okay, now, now I got to tell you something that's sort of just, to me, just fascinating. This is in the beginning of Gomorrah Megillah. It says that when Hashem gave us the, the first luchos, the first tablets on, on Mount Sinai, that there were two miracle letters, okay? Um, the two miracle letters were the final mem, right? Remember, it's Samech Mem is the name of this angel of evil, and the letter Samech. So Samech and Mem were these two miracle letters in the first tablets. Why? Because when Hashem carved out the tablets, he carved through and through each letter, from the front side of the tablet all the way to the back side of the tablet. Now, if you think about it, Samech and Mem are circles. So, so there's a little dot, a little like 
like a little circle that got carved out in the middle of the Samech and the Mem. And yet they didn't fall down. Those two little circles floating inside those letters of Samech and Mem didn't float out, didn't drop to the ground. They were miraculously suspended. And so the Gomorrah itself, the Talmud itself, calls the Samech Mem miracle letters. Now, isn't it interesting that the Samech Mem is shorthand for the angel of evil, and those were these two miraculous letters in the first tablets. So there's a lot of commentary on that, by the way. And I'll give you two, two thoughts, okay? One thought is that, you know, it says in, in, in the Gomorrah in Kedushan, that the Yetzirah is actually stronger than a person. And that the only reason that we're able to overcome it is because Hashem assists us. So there's one explanation of why the Samach and the Mem, like these, 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 the insides of those two letters were miraculously suspended. Because God gives us miraculous help in terms of overcoming the power of the Samach Mem. God gives us help, if we want it, to overcome challenge and evil. Very interesting. I'd like to say another another thing, maybe not quite as interesting, but I'll just give it a try, which is that which is that uh, you know evil is destined to disappear from the world. That's what it says. You know, when when the world reaches its full state of evolution, right after Mashiach comes, when the world is purified and it's just like. Hashem will be so clear and His oneness will be so apparent to the entire world. There will be no evil. Meaning to say that the fact that evil even exists is miraculous. So again, another level to understanding how the Samech and Mem, which were two miracle letters, right? The two miracle levels of the Aleph base correlate with the fact that we even have evil at all in this world. But it's, it's just a temporary state allowing us opportunities to overcome it and get to higher and higher states. Okay. Now I want to really talk about something deep. And I want to get very, very practical. We talked about this idea that that we're at war with ourselves. And that exists on a spiritual level and a physical level. I was talking about it up until now on a physical level, this idea that we have this liver and this and this um, diaphragm, which correlate with the nachash and the and the samich mem, right? So that's that's in terms of our physical needs, right? But but there is a side to say that 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 on a on a on a, on a deeper level, we have this yitzharah. This, this negative inclination, which is always kind of like coming to a person, trying to steer them in one direction or another direction. So how do you maintain a sense of goodness, of wholesomeness, of coherence in the face of the Yitzhahara? And by the way, there's a very compelling teaching. This is in... Um, in Gomorrah Sukkah, right? Page 52, if you want to look at it, which says something very, very surprising, something very counterintuitive, which is that 
the more someone grows spiritually, the stronger someone gets spiritually, the stronger their Yetzirah gets. Isn't that surprising? Isn't that interesting? I think on a simple level, what Hashem always maintains free choice within a person. So if you're growing in terms of holiness, well, it's not going to be a fair fight anymore, is it? So Hashem also has to increase the level of a person's Yetzirah, so that there should always be a balance, right? So the more you grow spiritually, the more your Yetzirah increases as well. So a lot of people naively think that, okay, now I'm learning Torah, now I'm, you know, keeping more mitzvahs and everything like that. So my Yetzirah, you know, any temptation to do the wrong thing is going to disappear. Not the case. Not the case. So how does a person maintain, psychologically speaking, a sense of coherence and integrity moving forward? So there's an amazing lesson in this week's Parsha. And uh, it's in Acharimos. And it's talking about these two goats that we would bring on Yom Kippur. And this understanding really came to me this year, and it, it just, it's, it stayed with me. And it's been, you know, the, the name of this series of talks is called Spiritual Tools for an Outrageous World. And, and I want to give you a tool right now. And, and I've, I've been using this tool, and, and it's been working for me. And I really, really recommend it. And so I just ask you, as, as Reb Shlomo would say, open up your hearts and, and try to understand what I'm saying right now, Okay. There was a very surprising thing that we would do. The Torah tells us to do, Hashem tells us to do, on Yom Kippur. God said, take two identical goats, okay? And by the way, just so you know, you know, we haven't got a temple right now. And, and so we're a little bit distanced from, from, from this practice. But this was the main thing that we would do on Yom Kippur, Okay. This was not just, oh, we read about the sacrifices and bring some rams and bring this and bring that and all the rest. And, you know, it seems very, very involved. So I want to just clear your mind of that and get you to focus on what I'm about to say right now. This was the main thing that we did on Yom Kippur. Okay. We took two identical goats. Now, they were so exact that you couldn't tell them apart at all. And then we had to select one to go to a very holy place, to go on the Mizbeach, on the altar. And the other met a very harsh end, okay? It was thrown off a cliff, a rocky, jagged cliff, and the animal would sort of be torn apart as it would fall down this cliff. Very intense, okay? Very, very intense. Now, the Kohen would, the high priest would have, there was a box and there were two lots in it. Now, think about it for a moment. How is the Kohen going to decide which one goes off the cliff and which one goes to this like very special place? So the answer is he didn't decide. He reached into this box that had two lots and depending on which one he 
took out first, that decided the fate of these two identical goats. Now, I want to tell you something very amazing, because we're talking about the soul, we're talking about the body, right? We're talking about who you are, who the Yetzirah is, how you can control it, right? We're talking about it on a physical level, we're talking about it on a spiritual level. A lot of balls in there right now in terms of our discussion. But I want to return to the sanctity of the body for a moment, because I love this teaching. And this I heard from Reb Shlomo in the name of the Ishbitzer Rebbe. If I were to ask you, what is the tallest place in your body? Right? If you're sitting in a chair or maybe you're standing up, whatever it is, what is the tallest part of you? So I think probably all of you would say, it's my head, right? That makes sense. My, my head is at the top here. That, that, that seems pretty clear, right? Except that isn't the tallest part of you. Look, if you raise up your arms, your arms are the tallest part of you. That's what reaches the highest. Which shows you, on a very, very deep level, the body is even more connected to God than the mind is. Right? So, so with the person's, the Kohen's hands, he would reach to a place and grab out one of the lots, and that would be the exact right answer 1,000% every single time, which goat should go to which place? Because the body was able to reach a place that the mind couldn't even reach. Isn't that interesting? I remember when Reb Shlomo gave over this teaching, he says, you know, sometimes you're just, you just turn a corner, you, you, you're walking down the block and you just, I don't know, for whatever reason, you just go this way and then you meet someone who you haven't seen in a while. Right? The mind didn't know, but, but the body knew. So, okay. So let's get back to this, um, let's get back to this teaching about the twin goats. So one goat, again, is going to this special place. The other goat stands 100%, according to all the commentators, for the Yetzirah. All right? The Yetzirah. And that's the one that meets the sort of the, the, the terrible end. Okay? You see, a clarification is being made between good and evil on a spiritual level, in a very intense way. That's what the separation of the two goats is. Now, we're not communicating yet, but, but when I tell you this next piece, the pieces will start to fall into place, God willing. The Gomorrah, that same Gomorrah, that tells you that as you grow in holiness, that the, your Yetzirah also gets stronger, that's page 52 in Sukkah, in Gomorrah Sukkah. It's one of the big pages in the whole Shas, you know? If you want to take a look at it, lots of amazing, amazing teachings there. You also have about Mashiach ben David and Mashiach ben Yosef. A lot of amazing teachings on that page. Well, it lists that there's seven names for the Yetzirah. Okay, seven names for the Yetzirah. And the, the, the worst of all of them, the seventh, the most intense of all of the names for this sort of evil that sort of like challenges us, is called Tzafoni, which means the hidden one. 
All right. Now let's let's get into this because this is if you if you truly understand what I'm about to tell you right now, you're going to get a lot of help in terms of bringing clarity and bringing tranquility to your life and to your mind and to your heavenly service. Okay. What does it mean that the worst of all the names, of all the aspects of the Yetzirah is the hidden one? See, what this level of the Yetzirah does is what I'd like to call spiritual identity theft. Spiritual identity theft. Meaning to say that this Yetzirah starts using the word I, And it makes you think that that's who you are. So you'll hear, I want this. I want to do that. I want to go there. And and you hear that and you think, I guess I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to go there. But it's not. It's this level of the Yitzhahara using the word I making you think that that's you. And over time, when you hear that word I being used all the time and it's coming from inside your head, you think that's who I really am. Spiritual identity theft. There's you, and there's this identical twin goat (laughs) in this version where you're a goat, right? (laughs) Which is indistinguishable from you and is walking around using the word I and has all your credit cards, right? All your bank statements, all your keys. And then you begin to think that that's who you are. And what happens on Yom Kippur? The ultimate gift, God separates the real you, the true you, from this counterfeit you. And that's the secret of what's going on with the two goats, these identical goats. They're being separated and they're being called out for who they are. This one's holy, this one not so much. This one's going to a good place, this one not so much. So what's the practical aspect of this now? Okay. See, I want to give you one more visual. When you go for an eye exam, they put these lenses in front of you, right? And you go, no. And they put another lens. No. And then another lens. No. And then finally, there's this lens which is super clear. Yeah. So, but it's still not your eye, okay? I don't want to confuse the analogy yet. So, so you are a pure soul. That, that's who you are. That's what you are. And, and we say it every, say, every, every, every morning. We, we talk about it. Uh, I'll tell you, just, it's one of my, I'll just grab it. It's one of my favorite prayers, just because it's, it's so positive. And it's um, Elokai Neshama Shinatati Bi 
My God, the soul that you placed within me is pure. We say it every single morning. An amazing prayer. It's this an affirmation of our purity. So we're pure souls, and, and that's who we are. And then when you get this thought that comes into your head, like this lens that, that's very clear that you think it's you, right? You think you're seeing even better, right? <laughs> you go, no, and you push it away. You go, that's not me. That's, that's not who I am. I won't have my identity stolen again. And, and I'm telling you, as someone who's, who's done this over a period of time, doesn't mean that I don't fall down. I do, like everyone else. But I'm telling you that this works. When you get a thought, you can say, no, no, no. You, then you push it away like that, that other lens, right? That's, that's not me. And over time, you can get reacquainted and you can hold on to the real you longer. And then what happens is over time, you become more and more secure with your identity, your true identity, as a pure being. And you can see your body increasingly as just that best friend, that tool to just enact the needs of your soul, the desires of your soul. It's a, it's this amazing journey that we're on, you know, We'll just start to wrap it up right now. Um, I I was thinking a while back about one of the things that Rabbi Nachman says. He says that this entire world is a very narrow bridge, right? The important thing is not to be afraid. And... I thought about it. I thought about it. Um, you know, we, I think we've all seen movies where there's like this big chasm and there's like this rickety wooden kind of like rope bridge that, you know, with planks of wood and it connects the, the, the two sides. And, you know, there's this like, <laughs> if you fall, you fall into the abyss to certain death, right? think that that we all kind of have that kind of imagery in our head. So again, Rabbi Nachman says, the world is a very narrow bridge. The important thing is not to be afraid. But here's what I'd like to add. Because when you, when you think about that sort of movie visual, to go along with that saying, how long does it take you in your mind to get across that bridge that you're visualizing? I don't know, you know, you, you'd want to walk carefully and, you know, those planks of wood are like rotten or there's some missing and things like that. So you'd, you'd want to go slowly and everything like that. But how long would it take you to get across that bridge? A half an hour? 30 minutes? 40 minutes? I don't know. 20 minutes? Well, but 
But now imagine that it takes you 70, 80, 120 years actually to get across that bridge. But the important thing is not to be afraid. God makes life challenging. But it's like this amazing adventure, right? It's this amazing, amazing, amazing adventure, and it never gets boring. As long as we have eyes and we have a mind, it never gets boring. It never, ever gets boring. Ah, I saw right before we started, um, Ben Sion, so he, he, he sent like the most amazing, uh, amazing, um, WhatsApp. So I'm just gonna, just gonna read that and maybe we'll just go out with that. And if anyone has any questions, we'll, we, we can take some questions, but I just love this. He says that, um, the word for isolation, right? Because all of us are in isolation now. The word for isolation is bidud. And um, bidud in Hebrew, or that is that is, that is the Hebrew for isolation, is the Gematria 26, which is Yudke Vavke. Right? Isn't that awesome? So in other words, in this isolation, there's this blessing that there's also this chance to be able to connect with God on just the highest, deepest level. And I said it before, I know I'm really trying to do this myself, and I urge everyone, everyone, everyone to, to really think about what I'm saying right now. You know, when Hashem took away the base of Migdash, and we're waiting for the base of Migdash to come back, when Hashem took away the base of Migdash, and so many of the 613 mitzvahs are contingent on there being a base of Migdash. So just a giant portion of the Torah we're not able to do because we don't have a base of Migdash. And the rabbis tell us that the reason why it's not here is because of causeless hatred. We're just hating each other for no reason. So I think maybe, at least on one level, what Hashem is telling us is you want to do all these mitzvahs? Fantastic. But you know what? First, figure out how to get along with each other. When you can figure out how to get along with each other, then I'm going to give you the base of Migdash and all these extra mitzvahs. And now with this isolation, I feel like Hashem is saying, it's almost like he's saying the same thing. You know what? I'm going to make it even simpler for you. I'm just going to put you alone in the house or with a few people. Get these relationships right. Think about it. Spend time with isolation. Bidud, which is 26, which is Yudke Vavke, which is Hashem. Spend time right now trying to figure out how can I get along with this person better in my life? I can't even tell you. I wouldn't hazard to guess what percentage of families have someone in their family who they haven't talked to in years. At a certain point, it was just considered normal that we don't talk anymore. It's normal. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. Oh, that cousin, no, 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 no. Not, 
It's been, what, 10, 15 years? No, no, no. But why? This is the chance. This is the chance. And can I tell you something? It doesn't have to be a lengthy email. It doesn't have to be a long phone call. It literally can just be, hey, just checking in, thinking about you, wanted to make sure that you're okay. Love you. Or if you want to leave out the love you, you can leave that out. And who knows what kind of openings those things can make. Because sometimes there's a desire on the other side that's as great or greater than your desire. And one little hole can like burst the whole dam open and, and, and all of a sudden there's love pouring back into the world that's just been stopped up. Now is the time. Now is the time. Let's really take advantage of all the spiritual opportunities that Hashem is giving us right now to make the progress that He wants us to make. You know, I'll never forget Reb Shlomo saying that that the Torah, the Ten Commandments, those are God's prayers for the world and God's dreams for the world. And that when we're keeping the Torah, we're dreaming God's dreams and we're praying God's prayers. Right now, God is like, he's dreaming about this, this idea of all of us in our houses. But that can't be just the, the dream itself. There has to be something so much deeper and more beautiful about what God is containing within that dream for us right now. Let's dream that dream of God's. Let's dream that dream of God's. You have the spiritual realms and then you have the more sort of like um, physical realms of the, of the universe. And in between you have this thing called the rikia, which in a way is kind of like the diaphragm of the universe, if you will. And um, if, you, if you look at the letter Aleph, um, this is from Rav Yitzhak Isaac Haver, the, the letter Aleph is sort of like a, a map of, of, of the universe. You have an upper yud, and then you have a diagonal line, and then you have a lower yud. And that, that, that upper yud represents the higher dimensions. The lower yud represents the physical world or the revealed world. And that line that stretches across is like the rakia, or in the context of today's discussion, like the diaphragm, if you will. Because, because once the world becomes more physicalized, then you have the capacity of mistakes, right? Because once you live in a physical universe, God becomes concealed, and you have the you have the power of free choice and the ability to choose incorrectly. So in that way, you can see that the rakia, that diagonal line within the aleph, if you think of the aleph as a map of the universe is in a way correlating with the Yetzirah because it's giving you the ability to have free choice. Right? Should I? I, I don't know if, um, if you guys have uh, an interest, but I can... Th- there's a part I left out of the talk that, that I can go into right now if you're interested in, in hearing more about this. Yeah? Okay. This is... Um, this is something that's, that's, that's very amazing, and um, you can make a note of this. Uh, I wish I could show you, maybe I'll make a, a little 
impromptu little chart. Um, just okay. So, so this is something that I mention from time to time. It's one of the most amazing things in the Torah in terms of the amount of commentary that exists on it. And um, here it is. Let me let me show you the. Let me show you the. Uh, it's it's talking about a malak. Do you see? I wrote the words case and yudhe. Put a little dash there so that I'm not spelling a name of God there. But do you see case ka? Do you, does everyone see that? Okay, so um, if if you been listening to my talks over the years, this is something that I, I circle back to all the time. It says that um, because of the presence of Amalek in this world, meaning the presence of evil in this world, the, the revelation of God in his fullness is blocked. In other words, God creates evil, but evil blocks our perception of God. Is that clear? So, so the way that you see it written out in the Torah is, is an amazing thing. This Hebrew that I, I spelled out for you, Kes Ka, is, it means the throne of God. God. That's, what, what, that, that's what that phrase means in Hebrew, the throne of God. But what the commentators point out is, is that it's spelled, what, the term that they use, I'm not crazy about this word, but they say it's spelled defectively meaning to say it's spelled with missing letters. Case really, it should really read Kisei Hashem. Kisei is chair or throne, and Hashem would be Yudke Vavke. But it's missing these three key letters. It's missing the last letter of the word throne, the Aleph of the word throne, which would make it Kisei, and it's missing the Vavhe of the name of God. So in other words, and it's talking about in this verse where, where case ka is written instead of kisei Hashem. It's talking about Amalek, which is evil, meaning to say that as long as evil exists, the full throne of God is not revealed in this world. It's there, but it's covered over. Okay. So... So now listen to this. What are the missing letters? What are the missing letters? Aleph, Vav, and He. Now, Rav Moshe Vali, who was the, um, the study partner of the Ramchal in Italy a few hundred years ago. So can you imagine who's the Ramchal's Chevrusa? Is very, very great. And they've just found, you ready for this? Thousands of pages of his Torah. All right? In Italy. And it's slowly being published. And I've, I've been privileged to read some of these Torahs. They're unbelievable. They're like way out, like super deep, unbelievable Torahs, okay? There's this section here, right before Ashrei. I don't know if you can see that on my screen. But right before Ashrei, we read this section. It starts, Yehi kavod Hashem le'olam, Yismach Hashem b'ma'asav. 
and and it, and it goes on. Well, this verse over here, I'll read it to you in English. It says, For he spoke and it came to be, it commanded and he stood firm. And now it's this next one. For God selected Zion, Zion, he desired it for his dwelling place. So what, what Moshe Vali, the Rav points out is, there's this amazing word in that, in that Pusuk, it's from Tehillim. What did we say the missing letters from the throne of God were? Aleph, Vav, Hey. So this word, it's actually a word. Aleph, Vav, Hey is actually a word. <laughs> and it appears in that verse. And do you know what it means? Desire. So this Shabbos, I put these two teachings together. And we just said, those are the letters that are missing from the complete revelation of God. And those letters spell the word desire. In other words, it's Hashem's desire to be concealed at this moment in history. (laughs) It is Hashem's desire, because those are the missing letters, Aleph, Vav, He, to be concealed at this time in history. Okay? Now, should we, I'm going to take it to the next step, but you got to, guys, you got to focus because I don't want to lose anyone here, okay? We're going we're gonna to go on another sort of like a triple leap, okay? So we'll just, just put that, put part one in your brain off to the side for a moment. It's God's desire to be concealed at this moment of history. Those are the missing letters and they spell the word desire, okay? Now, listen to this. This is a teaching from the Vilna Gon, okay? And it's it's a very precious teaching because because Rav Yitzhak Isaac Haver mentions it several times. So that means that he loved it. So if he loved it, you know, that's that's a sign to you that, you know, we should love it too, okay? So you got to kind of wrap your mind around this. I see some people are sitting behind desks and things like that. So if you want to make a little diagram of this, it wouldn't be the worst thing. I'll try to make one, Tim. Um, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad, Baruch Shem Kavod Malchuso Le'elam Ve'ed. You know what's cool about that? Well, everything is cool about that, but um, I'll tell you one, one thing that's cool about it. Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad is six words. Baruch Shem Kavod Malchuso Le'elam Ve'ed is also six words. Okay. Um, the Magali Amukos, and he was the chief rabbi of Krakow, and to be the chief rabbi of Krakow means that you were like number one in the Jewish world. Okay. I like to say that any day, any day you hear the, the, the name, the Magali Amukos, it's already a good day. It was already worth waking up. If you, if you got to hear the words, the Magali Amukos, you know, it's like you can just, you can go back to sleep right now and you, you did good today. <laughs> so the Magali Amukos says that when Yaakov Avinu, if you look, when he made, remember when he took those 12 stones and they became one? So he says those 12 stones, six of those 12 stones, 
Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad. The other six stones broke Shem Kovod Machuso Leilam Ve'ed. And what happened? Miraculously, they became one stone. Heaven and earth came together as one. Okay? That's what the Magali Muko says. But now let's get back to the Vilna Gon. Okay? So, so we've got, imagine in your mind, two, two lines. You've got six words on the top line, six words on the bottom line, right? Two, two parallel entities, one above the other. Okay, so in the, remember, there's two aspects to the Torah. There's the Torah Shebek Tzav, the written Torah, that's the five books. And then you've got the Torah Shabal Peh, which got, has six orders to it, the six orders of the Mishnah, okay? So Baruch Shem Kovod Machusole Elam Ve'ed, which correlates with this world. It has the word Machuso, which is Malchus, which is this realm, right? Which is the liver, right? Which is Olam It's the physical realm. That's the lower Yud in the, in the Aleph, right? Quick review there. <laughs> So, Baruch Shem Kavod Ve'ed, that correlates with the six orders of the Mishnah. That is the Torah Shabal Peh, that's what we do. That's our job in terms of explicating the Torah. So it correlates with this world, that's fine. So that's the bottom six. But then there's a top six. Now here's where it gets slightly complicated, and I just ask you to concentrate. Now we have to make sense of the top six, right? The bottom six we know. That's the six orders of the Mishnah. Very easy. The top six are divided into five and one. Okay? What are the five? The five are the five books of the Torah, the written Torah. Okay? So now let's check back in. Our, we've got two lines, six and six. The bottom six... That's the oral law. The top six is divided into five and one. The first five are the written law. Everyone following? Now, what is number six in that top line? Well, that correlates with the sixth word of the Shema, which is what? Echad, right? Echad is the Gematria 13. And you know, Rabbi Yishmol that's part of the Siddur that we say in the davening, there are 13 ways to derive from the written law, the oral law. There are certain 13 what they call hermeneutical principles, logical laws that we use to derive all of the oral law from the written law. So now, hopefully, we're communicating. You've got six on top and six on the bottom. The six on the bottom is the oral law, and the six on top is five and one. Five is the written law, and the six is the word echad, showing that the oral law and the written law are one, and it's the gematria 13, to show you how you get one from the other. Everyone follow that? All right. Now, you want to hear something super cool? Now, now I'm going to tell you why I told you that whole thing. Six, five, and one are the letters Aleph, Vav, Hey, 
which are the missing letters from Case Ka, from the throne of glory. <laughs> right? <laughs> Six, five, and one. Now, what did we say? And now we're going to put it all together. We're going to put it all together. That word means desire. Why is it missing? Because God desires to remain hidden at this time in history. How do we reveal it? Through the Torah. Through the written Torah and the oral Torah and deriving one from the other and doing that work. That's what reveals God through his hiddenness. From his hiddenness. Okay. Guys, have a fantastic, fantastic, fantastic week. And make that call. Make that email. Make that breakthrough. Okay. What follows now are some questions and answers. Thanks for listening. We do this every week. So join in again next Sunday for a new podcast where we explore the amazingness of life. And review us and send in any comments or suggestions. I'd love to hear them.